Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you as always. And first I want to start out by giving a shout out to a Penn State student athlete, Jonathan Sutherland. He is a Dean's List honor student in the classroom. He was selected as a team captain in his second active year with the Penn State Nittany Lions football program. And going back to his recruitment process, a kid with a big personality, articulate, insightful. And if you haven't noticed in the football field, he plays aggressively and he's exactly what you look for in someone on special teams. Now emerging as a safety prospect and he happens to be in the center of a bit of a firestorm. And for the second consecutive week, this one feels like it's up a degree, but a second consecutive week in which things that have nothing to do with the scoreboard, nothing to do with the classroom, nothing to do with the recruiting trail, uh, continue to be a hot topic for a fringe of Penn State fans. Been really impressive to see the community at large make their response. Uh, Sean Fitz, your response. Yeah, it's unfortunate for it to pop up on a week like this. I mean, this is a, a big game for Penn State. Obviously, I'm sure they don't want to deal with it. Uh, you know, you and I don't want to deal with it. You know, for 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 no, no, I've got nothing better to say. Um, but yeah, Sutherland has handled it well. James Franklin has handled it extremely well. Um, this is something that I think a lot of people can can learn from, can grow from, and without getting too far into all that stuff. I mean, I think uh, that Sutherland is a kid that. I, I've known since he was an eighth grader. He came down to camp with uh, Patrice Rene, Luigi Villain, Victor from Canada, uh, from up there at uh, Canada. Brought him down for camp, and he's been impressive since the first time I saw him. And you know, he's uh, he's a credit to Penn State football. He also happens to have dreadlocks, and that's you know that's okay, and uh, that's something that apparently does not sit well with uh, a simple older alum that I assume is not a podcast listener. So whatever. But I think that Penn State uh, did the right thing, handled it well, uh, handled it head on, which you weren't sure to their credit. You weren't sure if they were going to do or not. And certainly has come out looking better because of it. Let me also give a tip of the cap to Antonio Shelton. I know some people out there said he should have kept this in-house. Well, you don't facilitate the change you want to see uh, by you know, burying things, uh, you know, and you don't also uh, get the kind of mental and, and, uh, and spiritual peace internally without bringing things up. And you saw Jonathan Sutherland put out a, a statement of his own regarding this. But let's go back fresh out of the, uh, the Beaver Stadium media room. Uh, I was there. Mark was there. And, and I know, Sean, you were following along uh, before we even got to ask any questions. I was curious how this would play out. James Franklin uh, took a seat, went right into it and we'll go right into it here is the entire on-cut statement on this issue from Penn State football coach James Franklin I would like to kind of open up um, you know with a statement something that I you know was thinking about laying in my bed last night that I, that I put together that I wanted to uh, put out there um, you know the, the football that I know and love brings people together and embraces differences 
black, white, brown, Catholic, Jewish, or Muslim, rich or poor, rural or urban, Republican or Democrat, long hair, short hair, no hair. They're all in that locker room together. Teams all over the, this country are the purest form of humanity that we have. We don't judge, we embrace differences. We live, we learn, we grow, we support, and we defend each other. We're a family. Penn State football, Penn State University, and Happy Valley provide the same opportunities to embrace one another 12 Saturdays each fall. PSU football brings people together like very few things on this planet. 110,000 fans from all different backgrounds throughout our region, from all different parts of the state, and they're hugging and high-fiving and singing Sweet Caroline together. This is my football. This is the game that I love, and most importantly, my players that I love and will defend like sons. Ultimately, this is the definition and embodiment of what we are is all about. Lastly, Jonathan Sutherland is one of the most respected players in our program. He's the ultimate example of what our program is all about. He's a captain, he's a Dean's List honor student, He's confident, he's articulate, he's intelligent, he's thoughtful, he's caring, and he's committed. He's got two of the most supportive parents, and I would be so blessed if my daughters would marry someone with his character and integrity one day. Now back to Iowa, 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 and Iowa. So, um, Seems somewhat ridiculous, but I'm going to talk about the Purdue game right now. And a passionate and emotional James Franklin. Um, before we got into any conversation about what he saw in Purdue and what he's looking ahead to Iowa, uh, defending his player and also speaking about the power of football. And, and Sean, you've been in, in locker rooms for different sports, including football. Um, it's something that you really can't duplicate once you get to the point where uh, I know you're involved with the softball, but when you're when you're in that football locker room or or or, or whatnot, and and you're seeing these guys on a daily basis, and you're working towards a common goal, everything else get set aside. I mean, I had teammates, you know, in high school, I didn't speak to them during classes. I didn't speak to them in the hallways, but I trusted them once we got on that football field and, and there really was a bond there. And it's something that extends well beyond your years playing football. And, and obviously my career ended when I was 18 years old. These guys are at, playing at a high level. They, they come from all over the country. In fact, Jonathan Sutherland comes from beyond the United States of America. But that is what is so beautiful about this game and what James Franklin spoke about. And I think it was just the, the perfect response. And I know a lot of players, uh, we put the video up and a lot of players were retweeting it. And uh, CJ Holmes actually said that that kind of embodied who James Franklin is. And, and he's a player's coach. But I'm sure Franklin doesn't necessarily want to make this about his response. Uh, he's going to want to see, uh, you know, let his players respond on the football field on Saturday. And he kind of put it to bed there with his Iowa, Iowa, Iowa comment. We will talk about Iowa in a moment. But um, I thought that was about as well as, as he could have handled the situation, the circumstances. It was something that started a 
surfaced yesterday, a little bit on social media, and now you're seeing national media outlets kind of jump on this topic of discussion. You never know what twists and turns uh, they will take that kind of thing in. And, uh, you know, obviously, as you heard there, though, James Franklin felt the need to to sit down and, and really kind of lay his uh, his thoughts on the line publicly. And, by, and, and not that it, he would have come off or they would have come off as, you know, uh, as the antagonist in this, if you take that head on, if you put yourself out there in front of all this stuff, instead of saying, hey, we're focused on Iowa, which, you know, they, they of course said that eventually. But if you're willing to step up and be the bigger person, which really isn't hard in this instance, it can be good. I mean, it, it, that could be a real negative for your program just based on, you know, the demographics of what's out there among your players and and, and some of the, the negative stereotypes that could be used against you. Now, all of a sudden, you get out in front of it. James Franklin makes a wonderful statement. I think Jonathan Sutherland makes an even better statement um, just saying, you know, just th- this is uh, a respect issue and he's going to respect everybody else. And he's, you know, he's bringing his Canadian background to uh, to everyone else, which is, you know, is a good thing for a lot of people. Um, but no, to, to, to go off of that, you, you get yourself in a position where you can control where this goes from here. And this can turn into a positive for you. And you don't want to turn it so quickly into something where James Franklin uh, can use this as a recruiting tool or anything like that. But hey, there's a lot of kids coming in next weekend. James Franklin just put himself out there as a father figure for an awful lot of uh, of African American kids, and that's gonna that's gonna play really well. So this is something where they were able to get in, out in front of it. They were able to, to to control where they were at, and they're gonna be able to use this as a positive, use it as a teaching moment in that room and beyond. And I think it's gonna be you know it's gonna reflect very well on the program. And he stood up for his player, and you know, and you just heard the audio. He he went beyond that, you know, saying that 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 Jonathan Sutherland's the kind of young man that he hopes his daughter will find and 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 start a life with someday. So yeah, you hear the term players coach, and you wonder what does that mean? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Ultimately, it means you know putting yourself sometimes in an uncomfortable spot uh, to make sure that that you are taking uh, it on for the players. But that leads me to the next thing. The players in this case would have been totally within their, you know, boundaries to tell us as reporters during uh, various availabilities today on Tuesday that hey, we're not going to talk about it. You saw what we posted on social media about it. We're going to keep it in the locker room, or or they could have said, hey, James Franklin already issued a statement on it. Spoke with Fred Hansard, Shaka Tony, Micah Parsons, Will Fries, all today, all young men from different backgrounds, and and they each. Uh, expanded upon this and I thought that the most telling statement for me and we'll have a few of these up on lines 24-7 and I know Mark has has those videos up from player comments but but the, the telling one for me was a phone call with Shaka Tony this morning before we got to speak with Franklin and, and the statement that stuck out was I think whoever sent that letter had a chance to meet with Jonathan Sutherland he would want their kid to be like Jonathan Sutherland and and it's just a, a, a general lack of empathy sometimes we, we lack in in culture and especially how divisive things have gotten. But there's not really a way to excuse this behavior. Unfortunately, it does exist and you can only kind of handle your end of the situation, your reaction to it. Penn State has done that, but I do think there's something to be said. Everyone's going to say, okay, let's focus on football. Let's focus on Iowa. This group was already close. If you listen to our postgame podcast, Sean and I talked last week about how there's just a different vibe to this locker room this year. Uh, the 
buy-in is at a different level across the board, it seems. I think this galvanizes that brotherhood aspect, I think, not just with Jonathan Jonathan Sutherland, but something like this, something like those running backs getting called out uh, by people on social media for having chains on the sideline. Again, something that's not impacting the scoreboard, impacting the, the, the game plan, impacting anything. It's 19, 20, 21-year-olds having fun playing football. And uh, I think some people just feel like they are owed something uh, by these football players beyond them going out and giving the best they can on the football field. And uh, this goes to the extreme of that. But I think these young men have handled it well, uh, and they're going to internally uh, carry it forward with them as, as a bit of a rally cry. I don't think they'll tell us that. Um, they kind of you know hit around that a little bit today when we asked about it, but I think they want to shift focus. They don't want to kind of make this a bigger deal than it already is. I do think, though, uh, this is something that when in the grand scheme, you look back at how this season progressed, wouldn't surprise me if this was a, a bit of a, a, you know, kind of a motivating factor for them. Uh, it, it's a bit of a, you know, just a, a way to, to, to rally together. I don't really know how to put it, but, um, you know, I, I think in that locker room like, right now, there's a lot of emotions that have been stirred up, and I think they have the ability to use them in a positive effect on the football field as soon as this Saturday. I know people are saying, will this be a distraction? I tend to think if it does have any kind of impact on the game against Iowa or on this program moving forward, it could be something that pushes them in a positive direction. Yeah, you're going to see something about the leadership of this team, and I think it goes back to some of those guys that you mentioned, the Shaka Tonys, even the Will Fries. I mean, you can you can get uh, you can get a bunch of different opinions on this from those guys, but uh, you can't let it beat you. And that's the thing when they're going out to Kinnick Stadium in October on a Saturday night. There are a few things scarier in the Big Ten than that, and and you got to sort of put this behind you if you need that fuel that's great if you know you probably don't to be honest with you um so i i think that they can you know use this as a as a learning tool or use this as a talking point and get past it and use the experience of getting past it as something that they can use uh, later this year as well well and we'll get past this in just a second but i do want to say sean um probably saw about uh, between our message boards and social media i don't know it maybe 200 takes on this situation um 198, 199 were, were great responses, positive responses. So uh, I think the one thing people are cautious or, or worried about here is how does this reflect on the fan base? Um, I think much like uh, people who took uh, things to a different level with the Lawn Boys chain, uh, I just think you're going to have people on the fringe of fan bases. And unfortunately, uh, that's a reality. And, and you know, uh, when you send a letter to a player and sign your name on it, uh, you're, you, well, you're, you're going to be the brunt of, a, of, of the consequences. Everybody has that right to free speech. You also have a right uh, to get reactions to your free speech, and and and, and that's happening right now. So, And, and it was real. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I yeah. It yeah. was just the first thing I thought of. You know, I, of course, you don't want to believe those things are real. And then I'm talking to people. Uh, I got a buddy at Texas A&M. got a buddy at Florida. They're like, all right, that's got to be what? A Pitt fan, a Maryland fan, something like that, that just wrote something cr- that crazy. And but turns out it's real. So you just go on with it. And I mean, at least, you know that now, but you just go on with it and and get on down the road. Yeah. Penn State graduate, um, apparently writing that. But I can tell you, Jonathan Sutherland is the Penn State, uh, future Penn State alum that I think you want to strive to be more like. And again, his body of work as a student, as an athlete has been impressive and 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 add this to his resume the way he responded to it. We're going to move on now. Um, this will obviously be a topic of discussion I'm sure you'll hear about um, leading up to this Iowa game, but there is indeed a game here and it is set for prime time, 7.30 on the East Coast, uh, number 
10. Penn State now in the AP poll. They have jumped up to number nine in the coaches poll. Um, and, and they're going to play an Iowa team that that's still pretty highly ranked considering they just come off a loss. They went from number 14 to number 17 overall. We've been saying for a while now, circular calendars for October 12th. It's, it's buckle up time. And, and Sean, you really do get the sense that you know it, it is time for this Penn State team to show what it's all about, potentially flex its muscles, uh, potentially fall short of expectations. We don't know. And that's what makes this point in the season so paramount, one that we've been looking forward to. And it's going to happen in a bright spotlight. It is. And it's going to happen in a, a game in which Iowa's coming off an awful game at Michigan. I mean, the, the 10 to 3, I'm going to dive into that later in this week. And I'm not looking forward to it at all, just on both sides. But uh, yeah, Iowa's got some some talent, most of it on the defensive side of the ball. Nate Stanley is lauded as a quarterback, but honestly, don't haven't seen much from him to to sort of uh, support that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Penn State coming off of a dominating another dominating defensive performance. They got ten sacks. Michigan got eight sacks on Iowa uh, last weekend. So the pass rush opportunity is going to be there. Um, we're going to talk more about Iowa later this week. But I will say, you know, that's a, a, an incredible atmosphere to go into. Um, night game. Just uh, Kinnick is is special in itself. And then you, you all of a sudden, you know, you, you have a team that is going to make uh, m- sort of make it a priority to make that a low scoring game. And a lot's going to fall on your your offense. A lot's going to fall on your quarterback, Sean Clifford. As we talked about before, he's got to continue to improve. You know, it's kind of uh, took a small step back last week against Mar- or excuse me, after his great performance against Maryland, took a small step back against Purdue. Has to be accurate down the field because that's really what opens up this offense. I, I see Iowa sending a lot of pressure his way. I see them. Uh, uh, you know, d- d- sort of taking the blueprint that Buffalo did and Pitt did, where you throw numbers at that offensive line. So Sean Clifford's got to be ready. Uh, this uh, this offensive line has to be ready. These backs have to be ready to block. Um, or if you know, if you can use Pat Fryermuth, keep him in, chip him, do do whatever. Those backs need to be ready to take the ball out of the back uh, out of the backfield as receivers. And you know, they, they got to make some plays. So. Uh, hesitate to call it the first big test of the season because you're six games into the year, but still, this is uh, this is a huge one for Penn State. Yeah, and we will break this down in further detail on the next episode of the Lions twenty four seven podcast. But uh, you know, to your point on Stanley, yeah, I think I think he's got a lot to prove in this situation. He played pretty well a couple of years ago. He, he was a young talent for, for Iowa last year. I think if he plays average game, I was going to come into Beaver Stadium and get a win in that matchup. He was pretty abysmal overall. And then last week, three interceptions uh, to no touchdowns against Michigan, no touchdowns for the team. And this is a squad that managed only one net rushing yard against the Wolverines. Penn State, of course, negative uh, 19 net rushing yards produced by Purdue in their most recent matchup. And I will say the one stat that's a little surprising because you think of A.J. Epinesa, you think of an Iowa team that typically is really good at putting pressure, applying that pressure up front. Seven sacks on the season, Sean. Um, it's interesting. That, that that number stands out because they are so good at preventing teams from scoring. Um, they're giving up uh, about 8.5 points per game, I believe it is. 8.8 maybe. That's third best in the country. Penn State's number two in the country in points surrendered per game. And, and we'll talk about this more later in the week. But I, I do think Penn State certainly has a defined edge 
in the firepower that they are surrounding their quarterback with. Um, so we'll look ahead there. Obviously, the Purdue game, it, it was a bit of a puzzle um, wrapping your head around that performance. If you missed our post-game podcast, I'd encourage you to go back there. We talked for quite a while from Beaver Stadium on Saturday afternoon about the matchup, things that stood out, the running back situation, the defensive performance. Uh, but, but coming out of that one, Sean, um, one thing that, that stood out to me on Monday was that Shaka Tony did not get any recognition from the Big Ten. Um, I don't want to take anything away from the recipient of the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year Award, or of the Week Award, but I, I can tell you we saw Shaka Tony come up with three sacks all on third down and all of them forcing punts. The first two led to touchdown drives for Penn State. Uh, I think part of this was probably the opponent that Penn State was playing compared to the opponent um, that Michigan was playing. The, the award went to Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson, a, a defensive end for the Michigan Wolverines. He had six tackles, um, one sack. I think it was two and a half sa- uh, tackles for loss. And he had a forced fumble on the first drive. Again, not trying to take anything away from him, but Shaka Tony is now a guy who has a, had a four-sack game, and all four of those sacks came in the fourth quarter of that contest last year against Indiana. And then a three-sack game where he, as Franklin says, sets the the tone for one of the most prolific pass rushing games Penn State has produced this century. Uh, he doesn't have the hardware to show it, but he is turning heads in Happy Valley. I'll, I'll give Marcus Bailey the credit for last year oh, for yeah. the 15 tackles and a pick six and an upset of Ohio State, but you're right. It is about the opponent. It's it's possible the Big Ten looked at it and said, hey, we had a 10-3 game, so somebody on, that, on one of those defenses has to be the guy. So uh, t- Tony's definitely deserving of that. It's unfortunate that you know, he couldn't at least get a co-player of the week or something like that, but he was great. I mean, he was great. Yitor Gross Matos was very good. Um, just that, I mean, the, once again, for what, the, the third week in a row, maybe the maybe the three and a half weeks in a row, Penn State's front four just, con- just controlled up front and really set the tone for the rest of the game. Tony had a couple of sacks. Gross Matos had a couple of sacks. Just waves coming from everywhere. Those defensive ends are very good. Didn't see a lot of Shane Simmons. Got you know got some of those guys rotated through there. Saw some Jason Awe. Saw some uh, Adisa Isaac. You know just but uh, you know, those defensive ends are so good. And I, I'm very pleased with the development of those defensive tackles. Um, you know you, you kind of came into the season knowing what you got you, what you had with Rob Windsor. Antonio Shelton has stepped up. Uh, PJ Mustafer has done very well as well. And Fred Hansard has stepped in and done a nice job. He's been a guy that. Uh, you weren't sure what you were going to get out of him coming into the season based on his recovery from that injury from last year. He stepped up and done a very nice job and solidified himself as the fourth guy. And then hopping back to the secondary, Lamont Wade played his best game so far. Um, I mean, it's it, it's a work in progress with all of those safeties, but if you can get a performance like that out of Wade every week, I mean, you, you're certainly uh, going to improve your defense greatly. And it feels like they have about 25 guys who they can throw on that defensive field and, and, you know, pick 11 of them at a time and they're going to get the job done. I mean, it's a beautiful spot to be in. We talked about the expectations for this defense going into the bye week. The sack totals weren't all there. Where are they right now through two Big Ten games and a 5-0 and start? Well, they're second, as I said, in scoring defense, surrendering 7.4 points per game. They have not allowed more than 13 points in a game this season. They lead the nation in sacks per game with five of them, and they lead the nation in tackles for loss per game. And this number is pretty staggering, 
10 and a half tackles for loss per game. And we've talked about it before. Now you're talking about a bit of an uphill climb in terms of schedule, but they're going to go on the road and face an Iowa team that, that is coming off of a loss. They're going to face a Michigan team beyond that in a whiteout matchup that has plenty of questions surrounding it. And then Michigan State beyond that has not looked like a world beater this year by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it's a stretch to say as people evaluate this Penn State team and begin to kind of shed more light on, on how it may play a role in the college football playoff picture. These three games, we look at things standing right now, Penn State's got a great shot in each of them, the way they're constructed. The defense is going to be a big part of that. And as I said on the postgame podcast, if you get in a scenario where you get a clean sweep of these three games, people are going to want to focus on that Ohio State game right away. They're going to have to play a few more. But you are truly talking about a team that is directly in the conversation, not just to get to Indianapolis at the end of the year, but maybe to get into the tourney. And that's what it's all about. And, and you know, it's a team that you're starting to hear, are they ahead of schedule? A lot of people thinking 2020 would be the year. Uh, we're going to find out in the next few weeks, but I think you couldn't really ask for more from them on defense. And the other point I wanted to get in here, Sean, how young is this team? I mean, sometimes it, sometimes we forget about it because a lot of these guys have, have been playing since they were right on campus or a lot of them were high-profile recruits and we tend to kind of think those guys are older than they are by the time they get to campus because you start hearing about them when they're freshmen or sophomores in high school. Well, look at the offensive touchdowns this year. They've scored 30 offensive touchdowns through five games. 28 of those touchdowns have been scored by sophomores or freshmen, carrying that sophomore or freshman eligibility. Uh, just a couple exceptions there. Nick Yuri, a junior running back, scored in the opener against Idaho. Nick Bowers, senior tight end, scored on the road at Maryland. All the rest have been redshirt sophomores, redshirt freshmen, or true freshmen. And again, that's a testament to the way they're bringing along this offense. There have been some serious lulls at times this season. But again, let's look at the personnel they're using. I think you, you got some experience on, on the front offensive line. You got a new left tackle there who's also a redshirt freshman. But when you talk about the guys who are making the impact and winning the matchups downfield, uh, these guys are, are, are have mostly played you know fewer than 20 college games and many of those games they were involved in during late stages or as you know getting a few games during the red shirt process so uh, something to keep in mind as the offense tries to find its rhythm and, and, and get consistent and stay consistent. And we talk so much about K.J. Hamler, and obviously he has an impact on how defenses play you. And Jahan Dotson's a guy that took advantage of that over the weekend against Purdue. Jahan Dotson's been very good. He's been he's been a guy that you 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 kind of forget about at times until he makes you know it's third and nine. He makes a ten yard out, or, or or it just moves the sticks, or does whatever whatever he has to do. Then he breaks the big play against Purdue. He's been very good. And then uh, whoever's been at that X. And I hate to to sort of uh, pigeonhole these guys in, but they've done a really nice job blocking. That's pretty much all they've been asked to do. I mean, you're averaging what two or three targets to the X every every game, which you know you can you can certainly take issue with because Justin Shorter's there, because uh, Daniel George is there. Shorter, of course, uh, missed the game against Purdue, um, and, and and I believe both were listed as starters on the depth chart. But I mean, the, the, those receivers, uh, the front line receivers at least, have done a nice job. Still working their way through those backups. Um, I don't see and 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 we asked for mailbag questions and I did it a little too late, so that's my fault. So we're not going to run through it. But there was a question about 
maybe TJ Jones or John Dunmore, who who each uh, saw their first action this weekend. I still don't think that those guys are the answer. Um, you're still going to see Jacinta going th- through there. I, they're still going to give hip and hammer chances. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, the guy's got to make more of them. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I think they're still going to give him chances at, at times whenever you're trying to give uh, K.J. Hamler a spell. Um, so those those receivers need to come through. Now, the running backs, of course, is a different story. I mean, you've got uh, a different guy seemingly stepping up every week. Noah Kane seems to be the flavor of the week right now. Did a great, great job when he was in there against Purdue. Penn State got a little tempo going and, and did some nice things to uh, to get him the ball and get him moving just north-south because he's, you know, he's really Penn State's best downhill runner. Um, but yeah, we'll see what comes up this week. I still think they're going to use probably three of them. I think Devin Ford's kind of floated to the back of that pack. Um, you know, Ricky Slade, you know, performance wise has also floated the back of that pack, but I don't think they're ready to jettison any of those guys. And I think they continue to go forward. But back to your point about the youth, they're playing a lot of guys on both sides. They're playing guys uh, like Brandon Smith, who I think, you know, he's come along with the experience that he's gotten in the last few weeks. He's come along uh, sort of a long way. I mean, he looks really good. He looks like the, uh, a potential guy that can challenge as a starter next year. Um, and, and then you've got uh, Keaton Ellis out there. You saw some Marquise Wilson. Joey Porter's been out there a couple of times. And uh, Daquan Hardy even played a little bit at the end. And DJ Brown had a, a strip. So you're getting these guys these reps. Um, and not all of them are going to turn into starters. Not all of them are going to be you know big-time players. But you're getting a lot of guys reps, which takes some starters off the field, maybe keeps them a little uh, bit more fresh for this stretch that we're going to see. Because if you want to give yourself a chance to judge your season on the Ohio State game uh, next month, you got to get through the these three games. And I think, you know, as, as we've seen these other teams that they're playing, they certainly have flaws. Penn state has flaws, but I think that uh, Penn state as a whole looks better than the, than the next three teams on their schedule. You're removing, and I agree with that statement. I do. I, I didn't necessarily know that I would when we got to this point in the schedule, particularly with the Michigan Wolverines and the Michigan State Spartans, a team that's really been a pain in the butt for Penn State in recent years. But but I'm with you. I think this is a program that right now, as things stand, we'll see what happens after the Iowa game. I would look at them as favorites in each of these three games, and and that's you know that that's quite quite impressive considering you know what the conversation was this off season. And look, we could have, be having a very different perspective after they go to Kinnick and come back we'll find out but but as things stand now you got to like what you see in a lot of regards you mentioned some of those freshmen that have been playing extensively um, four of them burning their red shirt officially uh, by playing in game number five of this 2019 season last Saturday the two running backs Noah Kane Devin Ford both have burned their red shirt Keaton Ellis at cornerback and then Brandon Smith who as you mentioned has really been turning heads at linebacker so all of those players will officially be sophomores next year and the other one that is expected to join them in that category uh, this this Saturday probably against Iowa when he takes some snaps Adiza Isaac at defensive end and this is a kid that I brought up during a few conversations today Sean I brought him up to James Franklin and I brought him up to, to Shaka Tony and really a few players out there and, and there just seems to be a lot of buzz Tony went so far as to say he thinks that Adiza Isaac could emerge as one of the all-time great defensive linemen to come out of Penn State. Um, that's what we're kind of talking about here in terms of trajectory. And this is a kid who came to campus in January. Um, you know, the, the stats were phenomenal that he put up in New York. But, you know, again, a basketball background. The thing about this is some comparisons surfacing today from player conversations and with Coach Franklin. Comparisons to Ethor Grossmatos in terms of this is a kid that you tell him what to do and he goes and does it. It doesn't ask a thousand questions. You know, that you're going to have a variety of those kids and there will be the question askers and, and you kind of, you know, you got to explain why. 
he and that's fine. But but this is a kid that has the mentality where he is literally just okay. Uh, you're the coach. You put me in a situation. I will go full throttle. And you keep hearing about how he is a kid who plays fast. That's not easy to do, particularly for someone you know making that jump from you know playing high school high school ball in New York City to playing Big Ten football through two Big Ten games now. Sean, and this is a guy who's applied pressure on the backfield. He came up with a, with a really nice defensive play um, in pursuit along the sidelines uh, against. Purdue to make a tackle and, and, and really prevent a, a more picked up yardage there. Um, he's somebody that I think you're going to continue to see factoring in. He's going to burn that red shirt, and that'll be five freshmen. We don't know about anybody else. Joey Porter's up to three games. We know Caden Wallace and Lance Dixon are at three games, but they've been held back. You can play four without burning your red shirt. That went into effect last year, uh, but I think Adiza Isaac is someone that, that needs to be remembered in the conversation as well, because I, I fully expect he's going to be in that same status uh, when he hits the field on Saturday. Yeah, he was a green light from the from the get go this year. Twenty five sacks as a senior last year, so he does know how to play. and I, And I like to compare him to Sharif Miller because I think it's a little bit different than than a guy like Jason Owe, who's still relatively new to the game. Adisa was a little bit just a little bit better of a football player coming in, so I'm not surprised that he's been able to to crack that and get going. Um, I'm surprised how well that's translated into to, to how he's played. I mean, he's been he's been terrific. So uh, I, I I can't say enough about the the development from from Sean Spencer for him. He is a guy that a year ago was probably 210, 215 pounds. Now he's 250. I mean, you take some of those guys, especially some New York City guys or some city guys, you get them into a nutrition program, you get them into a weight program, you get them going, and they just blow up. They take off. And that's exactly what happened. What has happened with Adisa Isaac, regardless of where Penn State stands on its uh, defensive end depth chart next year, I expect him to factor in heavily. And I think that he can be the, you know, an every-down guy for Penn State as soon as next year. Before this season, I was saying that if you're getting uh, a high-quality Jason Oway reps throughout the season, he may be a season ahead of schedule. Now you throw Adiza Isaac in. You bring back Shane Simmons, who is healthy. Fred Hansard is, is healthier than I thought a lot of people projected at this point in the season, considering where he was with the midseason injury. He's playing at a pretty high level right now. We had a chance to speak with him today as well. And it just feels like what we already thought could be an explosive defensive front has new intricacies, has some new weapons that... Didn't know that would be available in in 2019, and you know we read the stats. They're getting the job done in a big way on defense, and uh, and so there you have it. We're going to talk about recruiting, shift the spotlight to that a little bit, but um, let, let's let's start that conversation by saying there is a whiteout kickoff time, and it is not noon. Uh, Penn State fans rejoice, Sean. It's going to be a prime time matchup. You know, everyone's wondering if college game day is going to be back here again for a third consecutive year. ESPN coming to cover it. We'll find that out, I think, late Saturday night. But big time atmosphere brewing. And it was funny because I think Michigan's football's Twitter account tweeted out the official start time. And and all the responses from Wolverines fans were basically sheer terror about the fact that having to go back to that stadium uh, under the lights. Yeah, that's not an ideal draw for Michigan. It's obviously something I don't think that they wanted, but uh, you know, networks have a way of making these things happen. Um, I'd be stunned if game day weren't there, to be honest with you. Um, just based off the schedule that's out there, I think what Oregon Washington is a, is a game to watch, and that's pretty much about it. So, uh, yeah, to to get it at night, I, I mean, let's be honest, nobody wanted a whiteout at noon. I mean, so it, it works out for Penn State. I think Penn State really worked on this based off of people that I talked to, uh, sort of back channeling things, trying to get things worked out. 
it, it worked out for Penn State, and obviously that's an advantage against anybody. And for a team that's sort of reeling offensively like Michigan State, for a team that's struggled uh, as a, with quarterback play like Shea Patterson has struggled, and of course uh, a warm welcome will be for Josh Gaddis, I'm sure. Um, so it, it, it just sets up pretty well for Penn State. Now you got to go out to Iowa. you got to take care of business and go from there. But, uh, hey, I mean, we were talking before the season about this stretch and thinking it's tough to, to deal with Iowa. Michigan, we think, is going to be near the top of the Big Ten, even though you know on this podcast we were not as bullish as some of the national media. And then, of course, Michigan State. But that three-game run, I mean, it's uh, it still is going to make or break your season, I think. But still, I mean, it's a, it looks a lot better than it did a couple of months ago. Yeah, in 2013 at that whiteout, uh, I remember speaking with Mike Gesicki when he was a visiting recruit and the impact that experience made on him. Saquon Barkley was at that game as well as a recruit. There's countless guys on this team who, who you know, before they committed to Penn State, they came to Beaver Stadium and they were part of that. The last couple of years, they set new Beaver Stadium attendance records. We'll see if they do it for a third consecutive year. But uh, let's be real. It, it's a great environment for the game and the game's going to matter a lot for Penn State's fortunes. But this is a huge, huge recruiting spectacle for Penn State to put on. And and you know they're going to be trying to stack this list with some of their most marquee names on their target board. And Penn State's got a little momentum behind it right now, so that that list is going to keep growing. We've, I, you know, I've added some some quality players to it uh, already today, and it's going to keep coming because you know there's a lot of positions that uh, that are going to draw people in from not only, you know, you look at where Penn State's recruiting running backs, you look at where Penn State's recruiting tight ends, but, you know, they continue to improve it in different areas. Offensive line is a is a big one. I got a couple of big confirmations uh, earlier today, but uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be something that, that appeals to people on a national level. That's something that they've built out and branded over the last couple of years. Um, but that, that, that list is going to be big. We're going to dive into it later this week uh, on the site at Lions 24-7, so make sure to check that out. Uh, but it's it's going to be exciting times. Yeah, our VIP subscribers are already well aware of a couple of those names. Uh, we'll be keeping that updated, as Sean said. Uh, there are some uh, some stories up there on Lines 24-7 already as that list gets put together. So head on over and check that one out uh, for our VIP members. Uh, we're going to continue talking about recruiting, some interesting developments, uh, including some on the on Sunshine State recruiting trail, which is always interesting lately for Penn State. We also have a conversation, I should have mentioned this at the top of the podcast, uh, David Eichholt, who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes football program, uh, for 24-7 sports. He's going to give us a bit of a scouting report on this Iowa team. What went wrong last week? Uh, what are the strengths of this squad? What should Penn State be concerned about? Um, so we'll have that conversation. We'll talk more recruiting in a moment, but first, a quick commercial break from our sponsors. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
As promised, we're going to get a chance to learn more about Penn State's next opponent, the Iowa Hawkeyes, uh, from our lines, uh, not our lines 24-7 reporter, but our 24-7 sports reporter there with the Iowa Hawkeyes. It's David Eichholt. He's been covering Iowa for a couple of seasons. And, David, we've been talking, Sean Fitz and I, about what we heard from James Franklin today at the Penn State Weekly Press Conference. I understand you are fresh out of Iowa's version of that. Any takeaways to share about the mood of the program heading into what is a huge matchup for both of these teams? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think everybody's pretty fired up. I think that, especially the line of scrimmage, I think Iowa understands that they got just physically dominated against a Michigan team that hasn't really proven a lot on the line of scrimmage, uh, but they found a way to generate eight sacks against Iowa, 13 tackles for loss. And, I, you know, especially for uh, redshirt freshman center Tyler Linderbaum, uh, knows what Penn State's going to bring. Uh, I believe Penn State is number one right now in the country in sacks per game, allowing five. And I think Iowa right now, I think they're extremely motivated against Penn State because of kind of how the last couple of seasons uh, ended off. I know Alaric Jackson did not speak today, but I know that he's really ready to get back against uh, Gross Matos after Gross Matos had an unbelievable game against Iowa last year. But I think Iowa recognizes that they still have all their goals in front of them. They can still run the table in the Big Ten West. And a a win against a really, really good Penn State team would be the first step uh, to kind of getting things back on the right track. Because if they win this game, they're likely looking at maybe, you know, 7-1 and heading into Wisconsin. So there's a lot riding on this game. And I think it's going to be a thriller based on what we've seen uh, the past couple of seasons. And I think uh, Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley knows – Uh, how important this game is just for his own legacy. Uh, After struggling against Penn State last year and struggling against Michigan uh, this year, he's closing in on the record books, but I think he needs a Big Ten West title to really kind of cement himself as one of the top quarterbacks in, uh, in Iowa history. Yeah, and I want to start with Stanley because he was pretty abysmal uh, at Beaver Stadium last year. felt like uh, just an average performance from that quarterback position for Iowa would have gotten them the win. Um, you know, the interception of Nick Scott at the end zone near the end. But you know, 18 completions, 31 incompletions, Gross Matos and company never allowed him to feel comfortable and, you know, at Michigan, three interceptions, it's a game where literally one play could have changed the complexion of the entire game. It felt like we were in the Penn State press box, but it felt like that game was 10-3 to forever. Um, they, they weren't able to dial anything up. You know, what is the pressure like among Iowa fans uh, there, among maybe the analysts covering the team like yourself, uh, in terms of Stanley? Because this, again, doesn't seem like a game that Iowa can win if they're not getting quality quarterback play. No, I mean, you're exactly right. I think something that people don't look hype in enough or kind of look into enough, though, I mean, the offensive line just struggled. I mean, Nate Stanley, there were a couple of times where he didn't get rid of the ball fast enough. Uh, he didn't survey the field. He kind of, uh, I say, kind of went back to what he did last year or even as a sophomore starter, kind of locked in on one receiver, didn't identify the mismatches in coverage. And, you know, we've been praising him for his ability to game manage, to really point out the mismatches, to read blitzes, uh, guide the offensive line, audibles. I mean, all of that was missing against Michigan. I would say maybe – I rewatched the game a couple of times. Maybe 40% of the time, there was nobody on Iowa's slot receiver, but he was so locked in on getting it to Brandon Smith, Emir Smith-Marset, or even Tyler Goodson, the freshman running back who's been making headlines uh, basically all season for what he brings to the team. But – 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. It seemed like Michigan wanted Iowa, tried to give Iowa the game on a silver platter after they went up 10 to 10 to 0, but Iowa just couldn't take advantage of it. Iowa's defense locked in, but of the final eight drives Iowa had against Michigan, they got six of them into Michigan territory. It, it ended up being three of them punts, two interceptions, and, and one turnover on downs, which was the final play. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people are just frustrated, especially given the stability of the coaching staff. And they have guys in the program that have been developed within the program. So three points against a Michigan defense that – really didn't seem too intimidating coming into the game, not taking any credit away from them, but they were 13th in the country in rushing, uh, in rushing, de- 13th in the Big Ten, excuse me, in rushing defense. Iowa managed one total yard on 30 carries, and that that's just never going to get done. It, it kind of reminded me of the Penn State game last year, when if you force Stanley to keep throwing, it's Iowa. That's not their game. That I think that's a blueprint of how you beat them. Yeah, Iowa one net rushing yard against Michigan. Meanwhile, uh, during the same time frame, Penn State holds Purdue to negative 19 net rushing yards. And clearly Purdue and Iowa are very different of the way they go about their offensive business. Purdue came into that matchup leading all Big Ten teams in passing yards per game. That's their bread and butter. They were without their starting quarterback, without their star receiver. Uh, but in Iowa's case, is there concern uh, uh, coming off of a game like this and, and now facing a Penn State team that – now you mentioned leads the leads the um, college football in sacks, but also leads college football in tackles for loss. Um, this Iowa team seems to have a, a, a well put established backfield uh, with the top two guys there. You mentioned the, the freshman Goodson coming in, uh, but is there concern right now that uh, about their ability to establish that ground game? You know, I think from the outside, there's a lot of concern. I think from within the program and people I've talked to, I don't think that there's much of a concern. I think that they believe they have the talent to do so. Personally, I think they brought Alaric Jackson back a week too early to throw him in against that Michigan front when he hadn't played since the first quarter of the season opener. I saw that as bad news all over the place. Michigan defensive coordinator Don Brown kind of pinned in on Jackson to kind of try to expose him and the interior of Iowa's offensive line, which which has been the weak point in the guard positions since Kyler Schott went down with an injury uh, two weeks ago. But, you know, I, I think I think the key for Iowa to getting that ground game going is they got to feed Goodson. He's second on the team right now in touches, but that's because of his 14, uh, 15 receptions on the season. He's a guy who's very Akram Wadley-esque and great in open space, dynamic, can catch the ball out of the backfield, athletic and fast. And he's going to be a guy that's going to, I think, people around the Big Ten are going to know who he is over the next couple of seasons. But, yeah, to kind of go back to your question, I don't think that within the program there's much worry about establishing the run. I think there's more worry about just putting the game on Stanley's shoulders uh, and like, like I mentioned earlier, I, I just don't think Iowa will never win when they throw 20 times out of their final 21 plays, which they did against Michigan. So I think Iowa's feeling okay for the most part. I think if, if they get Sargent's confidence back, if they can feed Torn Young and get Tyler Goodson going, I, I think that's going to go a long way. Uh, and I think the team believes that they can bounce back. I, I kind of think, you know, when Iowa upset number, uh, number three Michigan a couple of years ago, I believe uh, they lost at Penn State 42-17, but then Iowa came back and somehow found a way to upset Michigan on that game-winning field goal 14-13. And under Kirk Ferentz, that's just almost been the mantra. If they they suffer a tough loss, they find a way to bounce back. So, 
they have experience in the right places. These guys have been through a lot, so I'm I'm interested to see what kind of attitude they come out with on Saturday night. Yeah, Ferentz, obviously the dean of, of Big Ten football coaches, a guy that everyone has a lot of respect for. We heard that from Franklin again. But interesting to note here, Iowa led the all-time series against Penn State coming into this decade. It was it was 12-11, to 11, but Penn State has now won five in a row in this series with James Franklin leading the Nittany Lions. Uh, they are 3-0 against Iowa. Um, is there a feeling there that, that Penn State has had Iowa's number, particularly when you factor in how last year's game went and the opportunities that were there for Iowa to close the game at several uh, several turns, it felt like? And then two years ago, um, you mentioned Wadley. He had a great game against Penn State, came up big late. They took they took the advantage, and you had Saquon Barkley on a 40-touch night and Trace McSorley working his late-game magic and finding Juwan, Juwan Johnson for the game-winner. Is there a bit of a sense that I was kind of snake bit right now against Penn State? You know, I think so, but I think there's two ways that the, the people can look at it. They can look at it as being snake bitten, or they can look at it as, hey, this is a really good program. We're right there. So they just need to clean up the little things to kind of get over the top. And I believe Ferentz and, and the team kind of think the latter. I, I think that they know that they can compete with Penn State, or at least they believe they can compete with Penn State. They have, like I said, I think experience and leadership in the right places, which I believe is going to go a long way. For example, Iowa's defensive line right now is not happy at all with the way they're performing. I know A.J. Epinesa specifically was frustrated with the way that the game kind of ended against Penn State last year, and I'd expect his leadership to step up. I know uh, a guy that you guys know in that area, Geno Stone, he kind of downplayed the the rivalry. I know he was wanting an offer from Penn State coming out of high school – but he, 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 I think they're a part of him still finds this game extremely special. And I have heard that he's going to take a huge uh, leadership jump this week, uh, just as a guy that, I mean, he really wants to beat Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, that's putting it pretty mildly. So I think Nate Stanley's got a good head on his shoulders. I think they have experience in the right places, that the group's going to rally around it. And I, I believe that the team thinks that they're right there and if Nate Stanley can play a much cleaner game than he did last year and against Michigan that you know I think that Iowa believes they can come out and beat what is I think a really really good uh, Penn State game and I, I should probably apologize that your subscriber base because I, I was kind of down on Penn State entering the year but but they've been a very big pleasant surprise so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to eat my words uh, so far <laughs> so far on that one but yeah, we'll see. I think Iowa thinks they're right there, and I, I, I'm looking for Stanley to treat this as a legacy-defining game for him. And I think he's going to come out and play well. And Kirk Ferentz even said during his press conference today that uh, he expects Stanley to play well. It's about the people around him if they're going to play well. So that's his job to kind of get those guys ready. But as far as Stanley, I know I, I, I think Kirk believes that he's going to come out on fire. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure our our listeners are are happy to hear you eat your words, and they 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 probably <laughs> hope you eat a little bit more on Saturday night. But you mentioned Stone; he had the interception for touchdown return last year uh, uh, against McSorley, and and again, one of the more strange games I, I've seen. I've covered the way that game shaped out last year. You mentioned the the Iowa defensive front, and and, and starting with Epinesa, he's got two sacks on the season through five games. As a whole, though, this Iowa defense has seven sacks to their credit. Uh, going against the young quarterback in Sean Clifford, when we've seen him knocked off his game, it's been you know when you get defender in, defenders in his face and and kind of get him knocked off of his, of his uh, foundation a little bit, especially with his feet. Um, does Iowa, you think, can they dial up the game plan, or is this kind of where they're at right now in generating a pass rush? It's just kind of a, a lingering issue for them. 
Yeah, you know, I think it comes down to the guys around Epinesa winning those one-on-one battles because if you turn on the tape, I mean, Epinesa, I still believe, is, I think, third in the Big Ten in quarterback pressures. He's still getting in the backfield, but teams have been getting rid of the ball quickly against Iowa, which I think is a big thing. But, you know, Epinesa has been absorbing double and triple teams for most of the season, and, you know, it's kind of hard to blame them when, you know, you got a you know former five-star by 24-7 sports a guy is just a freak athlete, size, speed, strength, awareness, and the works. And we look down the rest of the Iowa defensive line, they're just not winning the one-on-one battles so teams can continue to get away with putting two, potentially, you know, three guys on Epinesa. Uh, I think a bright spot for Iowa coming out of the Michigan game with Chauncey Golston was another guy I had. Uh, this season, and he's really been under the radar until the Michigan game, but he had a sack, 2.5 tackles for loss, 7 tackles total, so I think if he can get going, I think that's going to help free up Epinesa, and another guy to look out for is defensive tackle Davion Nixon. He He's one of the most lean 310-pounders I've ever seen. I mean, it, it, there's just no baby fat, baby fat on the guy. He, he's a very big, very strong guy. Uh, coming, Still, I think, transitioning from Juco ball a couple years ago, but he, he is a guy that I believe can make a big impact, but it wouldn't surprise me that if uh, if Phil Parker dialed up some linebacker blitzes, look for a guy like Nick Neiman to come you know come down the middle, look for Iowa to maybe run a Raider package, throw Epinesa in a defensive tackle, throw Davion Nixon at defensive end, the 310-pounder. But Iowa's going to do, I think, a lot of things to try to throw Clifford off his game and to kind of generate that pass rush uh, that I think Iowa will need to ultimately take the game because – I think that if they can rattle Clifford in that environment, especially given I think how young some of the you know some players for Penn State are, I I think I was looking at numbers the other day. I think 31 of the touchdowns for Penn State are from freshmen and sophomores. So I think Iowa's gonna look at that and say, hey, okay, let's try to rattle these guys in this environment. So I, I'm really interested to see what defensive coordinator Phil Parker dials up and what defensive line coach Kelvin Bell does. Uh, to try to free up Epinesa and get some of those def- you know defensive linemen some more confidence uh, as the season goes forward. Yeah, and you may have seen my tweet. It's 28 of 30 offensive touchdowns for Penn State so far through five games are by freshmen and sophomores. So, yeah, the youth movement is real on offense. And you mentioned Itor Grossmatos uh, as, as a priority for the uh, Iowa offense as they prepare for this matchup and not letting him get a duplicate performance of his Big Ten Player of the Week effort last year. How about on on the other side of the football? Uh, what are Iowa's primary concerns when they look at this Penn State offense, aside from impacting uh, the quarterback, Sean Clifford? Yeah, you know, I, I think the big thing right now is the secondary trying to keep up with what they've done. Because for most of the season, Iowa's been without four of their top six defensive backs. And I think they're looking at a guy like K.J. Hamler uh, that it just I think he's a mismatch all over the field. Uh, if, if Matt Hankins returns from injury, which would be huge for Iowa, starting defensive back, I think that's that's going to help a ton. Uh, Geno Stone, obviously, is going to be a guy I think they're going to look for. And also, I think uh, one thing that the team's kind of downplaying, but what kind of intrigues me is that the running back committee that you know Penn State's shown this year. I know Ricky Slade's off to a slower start uh, than I think most people expected him, but he's a guy that... I looked at you know that last recruiting class and I said he's going to be a playmaker uh, d- down the road. I think they look at a guy like Journey Brown. They look at Sean Clifford's scrambling ability, which surprised me. I, I wasn't sure how much out of the pocket he would be able to get, but he's a guy that can pick up at least five yards of carry. But 
I think there are some unique challenges with Penn State when they have all these array of runners because they each have their own tendencies, what concepts they like to run, you know, all of that. So I think that's just going to make Iowa's defense uh, work a lot harder and kind of really pay attention to who's on the field and who's not on the field and try to pinpoint on those guys and try to really memorize their tendencies. So I I think that's going to be a very unique challenge uh, for the Iowa defense this year. And I also think that, like you mentioned earlier, uh, I think Sean Clifford, I think they're going to really try to key in on him, try to make him make some poor decisions. Um, another guy, I, I, I only want to try to pronounce his last name because I don't want to insult Penn State fans by doing it, but starting to am Pat. Firemuth. Firemuth. Yeah, he's. I think he's tremendous. Uh, he scored a touchdown, I believe, against Iowa last year. And Iowa really hasn't been tested much with tight ends. So I think that he's going to be a nice test uh, for the, especially the Iowa linebackers who, who have shown, I think, a better pass coverage ability. But when you got a big dog like that, who's a red zone, huge red zone threat, I think he's going to be a whole brand new challenge for that team. Yeah, Fryerbooth, uh, All-American last year. He's kind of picked up where he left off. They're also working in another tight end, and Nick Bowers, who has a nice stretch in the last couple of weeks. And speaking of tight ends, the other question I wanted to get here to you, I mean, it's very rare to see a program produce two uh, first-round picks at one position. I mean, for tight end, though, that that's incredibly, incredibly uncommon. I don't know if it's been done before. I'm sure you know. But they lost two first-round tight end picks. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, we got a first-hand look at them in Happy Valley last year. Moving on from those guys, has Iowa adjusted and kind of filled those losses, or is it something that you know that that maybe they're going to continue to to deal with? And it's just one of those things where you lose two first rounders at a position like that, it's hard to recover from. Yeah, you know, I, I think Iowa's really tried to embrace their tight end you, and I do think in the future that they'll you know continue. But you know, I, I'd say God bless Sean Byer and God bless Nate Weeding because that's a nearly impossible task. <laughs> to kind of walk into when you're replacing guys like TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Uh, but, you know, I think the two of them have some decent ability. Nate Weeding's more of a blocking tight end. I thought he'd produce more uh, receiving this year because he looked phenomenal, I thought, in spring and in uh, fall camp. But, you know, Nate Stanley's just not targeting them as much, whether that just be an adjustment with Brian Ferentz's offense in his third year. And, you know, I think the more talent Iowa's had in the wide receiver room, I mean, I've said this a couple of times, I haven't said it today, but Iowa's wide receiver room, I think, is as talented as Kirk Ferentz has ever had. I think they, they, they have the combination of size, speed, and I think there's only going to continue to get better, especially since the top five guys are going to return next year, because I don't think any of them are ready to take that jump uh, to the next level. But like you mentioned, the tight ends, I think between Sean Byer and Weeding, they only have a combined six catches for 67 yards, no touchdowns this season. And, for example, Tyler Goodson has 15 receptions for 84 yards, and he's coming off a 62 receiving yard performance. So I, I think I was just looking to get the, you know more of their halfback screen involvement. They're looking to get the wide receivers more involved. And, you know, I, I do think that Iowa's tight ends have some unique abilities, but – you, you can't ask them to go do what Hawkinson fan did and catch 30, 40 passes a year for, you know, a combined 14 touchdowns. But, you know, I think Iowa's offense is still adjusting. I think it's adjusting well for the most part. But at, at some point, I believe that they, they are going to need some more tight end production. I mean, it's not Iowa football unless two things happen. One, they can run the football. And two, they get the tight ends involved. So, but I think both of them are questionable right now, especially given last you know last game's performance. But 
I think they really do have to get that going more, especially heading into Big Ten play when teams are going to be able to key in on those wide receivers more and kind of key in on those halfback screens. If they get the tight ends involved specifically in the middle of the field, I think that'd be huge for Iowa. Well, Iowa does have a loss, but as you said, it is not in their division. Uh, they have everything to play for in the Big Ten West still, all ahead of them, and certainly Penn State with a zero in the loss column. This shapes up as a big matchup. I won't ask for your prediction unless you want to give it, but I know that you got to feed your fan base over there, so if you want to <laughs> hold on to that, that is okay. Uh, just curious, though, uh, uh, last question for you. How do you see this one trending? Where do you see this one heading on Saturday night in Kinnick Stadium? You know, it, it's... I think it's such unique circumstances because obviously you've been all over the story with what's been going on with Penn State this week. Uh, earlier today, Iowa had a former running back, only 24 years old, pass away due to a car crash. So I think emotions are going to be riding extremely high on this end as well. I, I think there's just so much that goes in this game with the black and gold spirit game, you know, the stripe out. I mean, to the 10 uh, year anniversary, the Orange Bowl team, I could basically fill this entire segment with a list of stuff that's going on alternate uniforms. But, you know, I, I think that Iowa's going to be extremely hungry. Some crazy stuff happened in Kinnick. Uh, and I, I will say, I think Vegas has it right. I think Penn State should be favored by about three or four points. I'm not totally sure on a prediction yet, but I, you know, before the season, I will say I did, I did give my almost lock of the year prediction to Iowa because of how the last two games have gone and how motivated they would be. But after last week's performance, I, I kind of want to loosen that lock a little bit. Uh, so I think at this point I'm trending Penn State, but I'm interested to see how kind of the week develops for Iowa and you know what I hear kind of coming down the stretch of the week. And if Iowa gets that run game going, I think that's going to just – I think that's going to open up a lot of things. But the big question is obviously if Iowa can get that run game going against – I would say I, I would say probably the best defense Iowa's going to play this year maybe besides Wisconsin – I'm a huge Micah Parsons guy. I'm a huge Gross Maddows guy, and they got a squad over there. So I'm I'm excited for you know maybe that six to four game like we had back in the mid 2000s. But we'll we'll see. I'm I'm excited for this weekend. I think it could go a bunch of different ways. But if you had to ask me right now, I, I am trending more toward Penn State at this moment. Yeah, Iowa has given up five touchdowns. Penn State's given up four touchdowns and. I can go without the 6-4, to four, but yeah, we, we may be looking at something like that. Hey, we'll pick up this conversation in the press box in Iowa City. Really appreciate your time, David, and uh, we'll certainly catch up down the road. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. All right, later. Thanks again to David for his time. Look forward to seeing him in person out in Iowa City. Right now, we're going to switch gears, go back to the recruiting trail, and Sean, uh, Keandre Lambert, Commitment number 27 of this 2020 recruiting class for Penn State. That came through uh, last Friday. A big one. Uh, we've already broke that down. There was plenty on the site. Uh, if folks missed that, head on over. At, uh, go to Keandre Lambert's profile and you'll find about five if, articles. If you, <laughs> if, you missed, if you missed that, you uh, I don't know what to tell you because we had uh, an overload of Keandre Lambert. And it's a big commitment for Penn State. I mean, this is the guy... Uh, big biggest uncommitted wide receiver left on the board, and he's a good one. So uh, Penn State uh, thrilled to get him. Of course, 27 commits in this class so far. Things, you know, we, we, we sort of went all summer. Hey, there's space. Hey, there's space. Hey, there's space. Now mm -hmm. things are getting a little tight. So not too many, uh, uh, not too many space, uh, or excuse me, not too much. God, I'm getting 
dying here. Not too much space uh, left out there, but Theo Johnson's out there. Uh, you got a couple of other guys. Jordan Morant uh, is a guy that we've highlighted as a Michigan commit. We had some notes about him earlier this week. Penn State's still in touch with him. Probably going to get a visit from him at some point. They've already used uh, the official visit back in June, um, but that's a recruitment that may come open a little bit later. Jalen Berger's a guy that they're still interested in as a running back, receiver-type um uh, maybe slot guy, maybe slash guy. So um, there, there's still names out there. Um, they just don't have a ton of scholarships to work with right now. And RJ Adams, former Penn State commit, uh, no longer in the class as of a few weeks ago, was back on campus this past weekend. Sean shared some insight. Brian Doan, uh, one of the national recruiting analysts on 24-7, shared some insight on Lines 24-7 for our VIP subscribers. That is a a situation to monitor as well moving forward. But Keandre Lambert, the latest addition to it, a class that has, uh, you know, <laughs> taken a lot of turns over the course of this cycle, but looks like the end result is going to be pretty solid. And believe it or not, we are now within about, I don't know, 10 weeks or so of the early signing period when a lot of these players will put pen to paper and we'll continue to move our attention further down the recruiting trail. And that means the 2021 class, which is where we go right now, Sean, just on Tuesday, a couple top Florida recruits placing Penn state among their favorites. And the first one, one that stands out, he's the number 11 overall prospect in 24, seven sports, 2021 rankings. He's the number one weak side defensive end recruit in those rankings. Bryce Langston, um, out of Vanguard high school in Ocala. Um, he's a guy who has Florida, Georgia, LSU, Penn state, and Oregon in his top five. He was committed to the Florida Gators decommitted in May, Penn State actually offered in May, and he's someone who has been in communication with Penn State freshman T.J. Jones, a wide receiver from Florida, and we've talked about before the domino effect that if the Florida recruits come to Happy Valley, have a good time, find success, enjoy their life up here, it's going to mean good things for, for, for you can expand it. It's not going to be Jay Wan Sider you know, selling a vision. There's going to be more tangible evidence to back that up. And uh, you know, Bryce Langston's a name that obviously pops up. We're talking about the number 11 overall player in the class. Yeah, and this isn't out of nowhere. This is, uh, of course, a cider special. If you if you took note of where he's from, uh, this is the same school as Leonard Manuel, who was bounced around as a potential official visitor in June. Uh, his grades were just not up to snuff, so his recruitment's gone kind of crazy. I don't even think he's at Vanguard anymore. I think he walked off the field one game, and he's no longer there. I think he's still committed to Florida, but I'm not sure how much that's going to last. But uh, Jay Wan Sider has a, a presence at that school in that area. Langston's a guy that has, had mentioned visiting over the summer. I don't think that uh, off the top of my head that did not come to fruition. But, you know, is a, is, is a guy that you watch out potentially to, to make it to the whiteout game or to come up for a big weekend. Um, obviously, he's... You know, he's he's bought into what Cider has sold, and Cider has such a good relationship down there with with so many coaches in the, in the Sunshine State that hey, if he's you know if if Penn State's going to make you a priority down there, you, you're going to start to come around to it a little bit more than you would have a couple of years ago. So um, to be in that top five, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Penn State, and Oregon, I think that shows that he's willing to move around a little bit, do some things, and you know whether or not he ends up at Penn State, that's way too far in the future to to forecast. But just to be in that mix, to be in that conversation consistently like they have been with Langston is certainly a good uh, good sign for Jaywan Sider. On the Gulf Coast, back at IMG Academy, stop me if you've heard this before, an IMG Academy running back uh, is interested in what Jaywan Sider has to say. Lavasi Carroll, a player who was committed to South Carolina, that is no longer the case. He came out with a top eight on Thursday, Sean, and again, Penn State featured on the list. They are joined by Alabama, 
Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, Ohio State, and Tennessee. So you got a uh, six SEC schools, Ohio State and Penn State. He is considered the number seven running back in 2021 rankings, right on the fringe of being a top 100 overall prospect. Penn State currently carries 2020 commitments from two four-star running backs down in Florida, uh, Kaziah Holmes, Kevon Lee, and here is a recent offer in Lavasi Carroll reciprocating that interest by including Penn State. Yeah, and I don't know that he's going to end up in the class, but it certainly uh, speaks to what they're doing down there, both at running back and in Florida to get these guys noticed. Uh, Noah Kane obviously is going to have an impact there in terms of how they use him. And and I think that, that Carroll is, you know, he, he really likes how Penn State gets touches for all their guys. And whether that happens with five or six running backs on the roster next year, we'll see. But it, it's certainly something that's helped. And when you talk about the running back rotation and and sort of bellyache over which what it should be and the number should be, hey, there's there's guys in there including some some big time recruits getting some some legitimate touches and I think that's really what you're going to take away from this as a running back recruit of course you know Penn State's been recruiting running back as well as anyone um, so I would not be would not shocked be shocked to see Carroll or some other guys pop up on campus uh, you know later this season as Penn State continues to get some buzz but uh, yeah I mean that, that, that running back position when you've got the, the the guy that's recruiting the position and the guy that or excuse me the guy that's recruiting the state and the guy that's coaching the position on the same side you're going to have success and that's what, already what they've done in the 2020 class. And like Noah Kane, who started his high school career uh, in the Dallas, Texas area and, and, and ended up in IMG Academy, Carroll uh, actually starting his high school career in Georgia, making the move this offseason uh, down there. And, you know, there's something that's be said. There's a willingness. If you're going to IMG Academy as a running back, uh, you're showing that you're willing to share the, the distribution because down there they're always going to have two or three power five running backs in that backfield. Um, speaking of Florida recruiting, Sean, you put together a, a video this week. Nick Elson. Elksness, a tight end commit for Penn State. Someday that'll come off the tongue it's a lot not easier. Just me. Yes. No, it's not just you. But right now he's the only 2021 player committed to Penn State camp uh, on campus this this summer. Saw the cows, saw enough to commit, and uh, you know he's pro. He's a big time threat downfield. Uh, you put together that that Odell Beckham kind of catch as you referred to it. Yeah, got wind of that this week, and it was uh, it was a heck of a catch, man. And you know, granted, he I think he only played about a quarter and a half from what he told me based on the uh, the team that he's playing against, saying fifty six to nothing. Uh, but man, to go up and make that play, it's an athletic play, and this is an athletic kid. This is a guy that's you know six five and a half, six six, around two twenty five, two thirty. Came out to Penn State this summer, ran a four six for the staff. Actually, if you take a look at where he was last summer and where Theo Johnson was two summers ago, Elksness actually out tested Theo Johnson, which is saying something because Theo Johnson's a, a heck of an athlete at that position. So um, it's uh, a really really good pickup. I think we have him as a mid three star. Right Right now on 24/7 Sports, I see that going up. I've talked to a couple people that have seen him. Um, it was really, you know, uh, come along as a, a, a developing as an athlete, developing as a player. Where he plays, I don't know that you can take a ton from from the competition that he faces until they get to playoffs or later on in the season. By the way, he plays for former Jacksonville Jaguar and Washington Redskins quarterback Mark Brunel at Episcopal in Jacksonville. But man, uh, you, you got to like what he's putting together. And and we talk about running back recruitment, how how well Penn State's been able to recruit that position. Tyler Bowen's gone out in the last couple of years and done a phenomenal job recruiting tight ends. Uh, it doesn't hurt that Pat Fryermuth came in right away, did some did some nice things. He's getting production from from Nick Bowers, a guy that was here before Bowen, uh, you know, was hired as as the tight ends coach. Um, and then now you've got uh, Zach Koontz, you've got Brenton Strange. They're excited about both of those guys. Uh, and then, I mean, Theo Johnson is is still on the board. I mean, 
Tyler Warren's out there committed, but Theo Johnson's still the big prize in this 2019, or excuse me, 2020 class. So tight end, I think, is going to be looking pretty good for the foreseeable future. Yeah, well, there we have it. We just spoke about a few 2021 guys, and, and there's some updates about 2021 recruits who will be visiting for the whiteout game. We'll have full coverage of that recruiting spectacle that's upcoming next Saturday. Uh, for now, we'll turn our attention towards Iowa fully on the next episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Dive into that matchup, what the Hawkeyes do well, what they need, what they what could be an issue for them, and, and we'll see uh, what it may take for Penn State to improve to 6-0, pick up a huge road victory, and head back home for that whiteout matchup. Uh, Sean, any last words here? Uh, and again, thanks to David Eichel for joining us to, to break down that Iowa squad a little bit here early in the week. If you're on the board and looking for the second look, I'm a little behind this week. I had a kid home from school uh, sick on Monday, so I'm a little behind checking out that film. Um, spoiler alert, Penn State really, really good early, slowed down, but you watch the game. So, no, that's pretty much it for me. Um, I, I appreciate the the conversation and the uh, openness to conversation early in this segment, uh, or excuse me, early in this uh, episode. And I hope you keep coming back for more. We're going to talk a little bit more Iowa later this week. And, you know, looking forward to that trip to, to Iowa City. We'll catch up for you. If you were looking for a little more Purdue Penn State talk, you may have missed our postgame podcast. That's the most recent episode before this one in the Lions 24-7 podcast, and it was all about that game. So feel free to check that one out. We'll catch up with you later in the week. For now, stepping aside on behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue, and this is the Lions 24-7 podcast. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.